Today's episode of The Shameless Picture Show is sponsored by Mill Creek Entertainment. Mill Creek is the industry leader when it comes to value price DVD and Blu-ray features and compilations. They have one of the largest catalogs out there, ranging from kids programming, classic films and television, independent cinema, documentary, and Latino cinema. Hell, they even produce their own content in-house. Mill Creek is a trusted partner with some of our favorite studios, including Sony Pictures, Walt Disney Entertainment, Warner Brothers, CBS Home Entertainment, and many more. And the best part about Mill Creek is how easy they are to find. Mill Creek has deals with thousands of big box stores, grocery stores, drug stores, and practically any other retailer you can imagine. Trust me when I say I've owned plenty throughout my time as a collector without even realizing it. They're a name I can trust. Some of my favorite releases include Can't Hardly Wait, Night of the Living Dead, House on Haunted Hill from their Vincent Price collection, the complete series of Quantum Leap, the complete series of The Secret World of Alex Mack, and of course, you're the hunter from the future. Head over to www.millcreekent.com, that's millcreekent.com, and see what their collection has to offer. I guarantee you'll find something great. Warning! This movie podcast actually discusses movies. Be aware that it may discuss any of the following elements. Endings, surprise twists, unexpected cameos, and all manner of spoilers. If this doesn't appeal to you, why listen to a movie podcast? Without further ado, please enjoy our feature presentation, The Shameless Picture Show. Hello and welcome to another bonus episode of The Shameless Picture Show. My name is Michael and today we are talking Mill Creek Entertainment. Mill Creek Entertainment has been a sponsor here at The Shameless Picture Show since pretty early on in season two. Um, it all kind of kicked off when we did our Your Hunter from the Future episode. And uh, yeah, they've been a proud sponsor of us since then. For you, those of you don't that don't know, Mill Creek is kind of well. You're gonna hear it at the beginning of the episode, but um, you know the number one value priced entertainment label on the market. Um, they do a little bit of everything, <clears throat> and they've always been a company that I've appreciated. Um, I've seen a lot of weird, unique shit through them um, because they dare to be different, and they put out things that no one else does. Sorry, I got a little bit of heartburn, so I'm drinking a lot of water right now. Um, I'm here today on this bonus episode to talk about a couple of discs that I've uh, I've got from Mill Creek. Uh, this episode's a long time coming. It's been a little bit since I've done a Mill Creek episode. Um, life gets in the way, um, but I've got three really interesting sets here to talk about. Um, I'm going to start with the only DVD out of the bunch. Um, it is called the laurel and hardy comedy collection um let me read the back of it 24 of the best performances from their first to last i don't know why that voice came out it just kind of felt appropriate long live laurel and hardy the world's greatest double act who brought their slapstick routines from the vaudeville to silent movies down to color pictures they were the biggest names in comedy, and you can now enjoy 24 of the hilarious classics in this collection featuring shorts, feature films, interviews, and home movies showcasing the wonderful Stan Laurel and Oliver Hardy from their first appearance together to their final film and including solo shorts. Um, so yeah, this this collection, 
um, it's broken up into a couple different segments. But I guess I should first start off by saying, um, if you haven't seen Stan and Ollie, the uh, the new movie that just came out about Laurel and Hardy, it's fantastic. Um, I've always been a big fan of slapstick humor. Uh, I grew up a big Three Stooges guy. I liked Abbott and Costello quite a bit. Laurel and Hardy, while I've seen their skits, most notably the music box, um, they were still kind of a blind spot for me. Um, but my fascination with early cinema and comedy duos and whatnot, I knew not only, and I knew I wanted to see Stan and Ollie, but uh, I knew I had to pick up this collection. So how this collection is broken up? It's uh, broken up into three discs. So. They first have uh, Laurel and Hardy Shorts and Features, and on there they have The Lucky Dog from 1921, Yes, Yes, sorry, this one's hard to say, Yes, Yes, Nanette from 1925, The Stolen Jewels from 1931, The Flying Deuces from 1939, The Tree in a Test Tube from 1943, and Utopia from 1951. Um... I will say this collection, while it's it's great to have these on DVD and their films, uh, I I especially want to go back to and probably rewatch. It's a little bit of a letdown. Um, so I didn't watch every single thing on this collection because what I was really hoping for was a kind of definitive collection of Roland Hardy stuff. Probably due to rights issues, some of their biggest films aren't on here. Most notably, The Music Box is not on here. And it's kind of, um, I feel a little betrayed a little bit. Um, like I said, it's a great collection. But, for example, the, the first skit on the Laurel and Hardy disc is The Lucky Dog from 1921. Laurel and Hardy are both in it, but they're not the comedy troupe proper. The film stars Stan Laurel, and Oliver Hardy plays a side character. So yeah, it's cool to see the first time they're together. That's, it's it's history. Um, but it didn't quite do it for me. And then on here as well, they have uh, Yes, Yes, Nanette, which I did watch. And once again, um, Laurel and Hardy are in it. The uh, And Stan Laurel directs the film, but... Once again, he's not, he's just, he's playing a different character. Hardy's in it, but not really playing, um, not really playing his normal go to character. So it's just kind of disappointing. Um, it's still a lot of fun. They're both shorts are great. They're, um, um, I really enjoyed watching them. But, you know, when you come in expecting to see Laurel and Hardy proper, it bums you out a little bit when you don't have it. Same thing with The Stolen Jewels, which is the next one, which is a fascinating little film because it's not necessarily a Laurel and Hardy skit. They've got a really small part in it, but it's more so like... Um, so that film was made in 1931, and it was like, how many stars can we fit into one film? So like Charlie Chaplin shows up in it, Laurel and Hardy, a bunch of other names from the time. Uh, but once again, not really a Laurel and Hardy skit proper. Uh, it's not until on this collection, The Flying Deuces, that we actually get a Laurel and Hardy film. And it's really dark. Um, it, it has to do with um, Hardy. He's uh, courting a woman. And um, she likes him. He likes her. Yada, yada. We find out she's actually with someone else. And he gets bummed out and tries to kill himself. But he doesn't want to go alone. So he convinces He has to tell Laurel that Laurel has to kill himself as well. And then because of that, they end up getting drafted into, I believe it's the French army. And, you know, things progress from there and it's a lot of fun but yeah like i said it's just um 
I guess I was hoping for something a little more definitive, and I know it comes down to rights, and I'm sure the Warhol and Hardy skits are and skits and films are really tied up in rights, but you know, it is what it is. But it's still pretty fascinating. Um, on here is also, like I said, the the tree in a test tube from 1943 and Utopia in 1954. 1951 the tree in a test tube is interesting because it's actually in color so that's kind of cool and then the next disc is the stan laurel solo short films and the one after that is oliver hardy short films um so it's stuff that they did apart from each other either before they met each other or after but once again it's not laurel and hardy proper it's interesting piece of history and if i it's it's a good uh it's a good companion piece to something else to like to another Warren Hardy collection it's something definitely if you're a fan of them you want in your collection but since Warren Hardy are still kind of a blind spot for me this didn't really do didn't do for me what I was hoping it would I wanted like I said a collection they're 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 big ones they're greats so I'm gonna still stay on the the lookout for something like that and I'm not I'm gonna keep this in my collection because it's definitely worth having um I'll read through the uh the uh, the films on the um, Stan Laurel shorts. Uh, it's got Mud and Sand from 1922, West of Hot Dog from 1924, Oranges and Lemons from 1923, The Soilers from 1923, White Wings from 1923, and a collection of Stan Laurel home movies. Uh, and then on the Oliver Hardy short films, they've got The Hobo from 1917, Hop to It Bellhop from 1919, The Sawmill from 1922, The Show from 1922, Kid Speed from 1924, The Paper Hanger's Helper, aka Stick Around from 1925, Should Sailors Marry from 1925, Along Came Auntie from 1926, Bromo and Juliet from 1926, Crazy Like a Fox from 1926, Enough to Do, aka Wandering Papas from 1926, and finally Thundering Fleas from 1926. Like I said, ultimately not a bad collection. Um, it's a good accompaniment. It's a long collection. In total, it's like nine hours. Uh, but it's also kind of cool because it comes with a digital copy. So you can watch Laurel and Hardy on the go. So um, recommended if you're a fan of Laurel and Hardy and you want to fill in some of those blind spots. But as a beginner to the comedy duel, probably not the best beginner disc. Uh, still recommended, but check out some of their big films first um, to kind of get an idea of who they are. So it, I feel like this would work better after once you know the comedy team and some of their things. This is a great accompaniment, as I've said quite a few times in this. Um, I'm just trying to be nice. Um, like I said, I don't dislike the collection, but wasn't what I was looking for. Um, next up, we have a double feature from Milk Creek of Age of Consent and Cactus Flower. So first, the back of the box for Age of, Age of Consent says. Michael Powell teamed with actor James Mason, who also co-produced, to make a film loosely based on the life of controversial Australian artist Norman Lindsay. Age of Consent stars Mason as a jaded painter who heads down under looking for a way to revitalize his creative soul. His self-imposed exile is interrupted by Cora, played by Helen Mirren, an uninhibited young woman on her own journey of self-discovery. Australia's Great Barrier Reef primitive, peaceful, and innocent. A girl, as beautiful and unspoiled as the world she lives in. A man, devoting himself to the fine art of beachcombing. 
If I had the materials to work with, I might even... What? Might even get you to pose. Pose? I'm a painter. Know what a model is? Like that? <laughs> no. Like this? No. Like this? No. <laughs> <laughs> Come free. <laughs> <laughs> James Mason, the artist who left his conventions in London. It's the dress. Take it off. Helen Mirren of England's Royal Shakespeare Company. A girl approaching womanhood. A girl approaching the age of consent. That's better. For the artist, it's the time of his life. It's gonna be the best work I ever did, too. Look. Look at that light on you. Tunnels to the face need fixing a bit, but... Now, hurry. We've got all the time in the world. For the girl, it's time for growing up. You only want me for the pictures. That's not true! Cora! Controversial is definitely a good way to describe this. Norman Lindsay apparently wrote the book. I don't know the book very well. I don't know anything about the book other than what a little bit of research I've done. But apparently Norman Lindsay did wrote a book about him going home and finding his muse in this uh, beautiful young woman. And she's underage. That's kind of where the um, the issue comes in. So let me let me walk you through the story. Um, James Mason, who plays the artist, uh, I do not remember the character's name at the moment, um, but he's a really famous artist. He's selling uh, his paintings for lots of money, but doesn't feel fulfilled. He doesn't feel like he's actually making anything of worth. He's just kind of paint by numbers doing his thing. So he goes home to Australia, where he, to find his creative soul, he gets a little cabin on the beach, and there's actually there's these great moments where he, he specifically chooses this island because he thinks it's uninhibited. And he finds his little cabin. Um, and he cleans it all up. He's got his little dog there. And his plan is to find himself. And be away from distractions. What he doesn't realize is not only is he not alone, but a lot of people live on this island. So he's constantly um, annoyed and trying to figure and realizing that, you know, I can't do my art here. Until he meets Helen Mirren's character. And Helen Mirren's like 22 years old in this movie. She's stupidly young. I've never seen her this young before. And she's this, you know, they use the word uninhibited to, you know. She's a woman who takes her clothes off all the time and whatever. She is a young woman on this island whose parents have passed away. She's staying with who I believe is like an aunt or grandmother. And she's trying to save up money to get off the island. Um, Her grandmother, though, keeps finding her stash and stealing her money. Her grandmother is an alcoholic. Together, um, they make money because Cora um, catches fish and sells seashells and things like that. Um, But when James Mason meets her, they... It's not really a romance, but you can kind of get these weird undertones that he's into her. And it starts off completely like, 
I want to paint you. You know, one of those stories like your beauty is so overwhelming, I want to paint you. And um, it kind of plays out the way you expect, where he start he gets a new creative surge and he wants to keep making art. And yeah, it's it's one of those stories. Um, my issue with it is so one, the title Age of Consent makes it kind of sound like a porno. Um, and I went in thinking, I don't know if I want to really watch this movie. Um, but it's not. It's actually a kind of, re- it's really well shot. Michael Powell is a fantastic filmmaker. And I believe this is his last film. Um, like I said, the movie's really well shot. It's It's got cinematography by a guy named Hans Staundinger. Sorry if I uh, mispronounce his name. I'm not very good at foreign names. But... My biggest issue with it, like I said, is there's no reason for the character to be underage. Um, I know it's kind of like a thing where artists, you know, meet someone, uh, some girl underage and whatnot. And I like, I feel like you could have told the same story of James Mason being an older artist and he just met a younger woman. She didn't have to be under the age of consent for this story to work. They kept adding all these awkward lines and it's like, you're not even of age. And it it felt forced because I honestly forgot she was underage because she doesn't look that young. She's young, but she doesn't look like freakishly young in this film. Um, Helen Mirren, that is. It doesn't look freakishly young in this film. So I kind of kept forgetting about it until they awkwardly brought it up. It's like, I feel like you could have still told the story about an older man finding his inspiration, his muse through a younger woman without her necessarily being underage. It just kind of tampers the entire film a little bit, especially because they, at the end, they do kind of, they never act upon anything. Like, they, there's no, like, at least to my to my memory, no sex scene or anything like that. They might I think they kiss at the very end, uh, which is still kind of weird. But you know, it's not like this thirsty, lustful film. He is just painting. He wants to do art. Um, but like I said, the the film didn't need that element for it to work because I actually found myself pretty engrossed in the film. Um, I thought all the performances were really good. Helen Mirren, like I said, she's really young and she's got an accent. And she went from, this was her first film. She went from doing like Shakespearean theater to this film. And James Mason, seriously, uh, not an actor I was, I'm very familiar with. I've seen him, obviously, but just kind of had this, this suave James Bond vibe. It kind of felt like James Bond on vacation because he's kind of like drunk and charming and whatnot. Um... But it's just, it's like I said, it's interesting because it's just about this guy getting his muse back. So I'm really torn about the film because I liked the film. I did. Um, I found myself engrossed in it, and I had a good time watching it. Like I said, there's some beautiful underwater cinematography. Uh, the art that James Mason's character paints is beautiful and fantastic. Like, I wish I could get a couple of those prints framed. Uh, there's some really goofy comedy with a uh, well-known character actor uh jack mcgowan or mcgowan who plays a character by the name of nat kelly he kind of shows up to annoy james mason's character um because he's trying to he knows oh my artist friend is rich so he tries to like bum money off of him and eventually tries to rip him off and everything and it's a goofy film but I feel like there's something there. There's some heart to it. But I feel like the entire film is kind of just brought down by this very unnecessary age gap. You know, so the character's supposed to be 17. Why? 
Helen Mirren was 22. They could have had the character be 22. Nothing was, nothing would have been odd. Nothing would have been out of place. And you could, st- like, why does she have to be underage to be for him to be inspired? I can get the idea that this artist is un- is is inspired by the youthful energy of a young woman. I don't know. I just feel like she could have still been in her 20s and still been youthful and still, you know, been uninhibited and all that shit. Um, yeah, I don't know. Like I said, I like the film. I definitely think it's worth seeking out and seeing. Um, I just feel like if I were to have made this film or made this 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 adaptation of this film, I would have cut that out. It wasn't needed. wasn't needed at all. Um, next on this disc, they have, a col- uh, they have the film... Cactus Flower. Cactus Flower is a delightful comedy sparked by crazy, mixed-up situations and a kooky Academy Award-winning debut performance from Goldie Hawn, who won Best Actress in a Supporting Role in 1969. Walter Matthau also stars as Julian Winston, an easygoing bachelor dentist whose delicately balanced scheme crumbles under some unexpected circumstances. I've got a perfect setup. Why spoil it by getting married? I am no sex goddess, but uh, I haven't spent my life in a tree. Mr. Dickinson, you could do me a great service. You see, I'm desperately in need of a wife. Do you always stand up there like that? the father and daughter thing of yours if you don't think that looks ridiculous. Well, it's different with a man. When a man is with a younger woman, it looks entirely appropriate. But when it's the other way around, it's just... You go to your church and I'll go to mine. A man who lies cannot love. That sounds like something out of a fortune cookie. Dirty married bachelor. Cactus Flower was fucking great. This movie alone is worth the price of admission. Um, so the film was directed by Gene Sachs, who um, I wasn't super familiar with, even though I was, I had seen a couple of his movies. Like he did, uh, obviously, this movie. Um, he did The Odd Couple. So I guess I've only seen two, two of his movies. But um, um, the movie is goofy because, like, the the story is based around this young woman named Tony Simmons, who she attempts to commit suicide uh, because her boyfriend, played by Walter Matthau, stood her up. And it's kind of goofy because, like, you know, you see there's this great stoic picture of Walter Matthau in the background. But anyway, she is she is saved by her next door neighbor named Igor, who is a struggling playwright. We find out through dialogue between Igor and Tony that Julian. Her boyfriend is married. You haven't told me your name. Tony Simmons. Look, Tony, uh, what did this Julian do to you? Nothing. Well, he must have done something. What, did he cheat on you? Beat you? He's a drunk? Crook? Worse. Oh, he's married. For life. He's got three kids. I don't know why I'm telling you all this like you were dear Abby. Is that that dirty rat, Julian? Oh, he's not a dirty rat. He's a dentist. Fine dentist, Fifth Avenue. With a wife and three kids. Well, that's one of the things that attracted me to him. You go for married men, huh? I like honesty. 
All my life, people have lied to me, and I can't stand it. Julian at least had the decency to warn me. He had a wife and a family. I was in love with him, so I accepted it. First, I thought it was going to be a gay, carefree fling. <laughs> Whoopee. Then came all those nights when he couldn't make it. When he called a night and canceled. It was our anniversary. Anniversary? Of what? Julian and I met one year ago at Stereo Heaven. That's the record shop where I work. Stereo Heaven? I've been there. I never noticed you. Well, Julian did. And I noticed him. He was charming, good-looking, sophisticated. No sweatshirts. Sorry, didn't know this suicide was black tie. And she's okay with that because she felt like him being upfront about being married meant he was a trustworthy guy. But she's kind of on the fence about whether or not she wants to stay with Julian. When we finally meet Julian, who is a dentist, as they said, we find out he's actually not married. He just didn't want to be tied down and thought, well, if she thinks I'm married, we can't go super far with this. So, you know, let's just concoct this lie. Well, through these series of events, we find out, um, you know, Julian finds out that Tony... Uh, had attempted to kill herself, runs over there, and, you know, proposes to marry her. Um, issue is, Tony hates lying, so Julian can't, you know, go back on his this lie that their relationship was founded on, so he lies and says he's getting a divorce from his wife, and, uh, and um, she wants to take the two kids. Issue is, Tony, who's a good person through and through, wants to meet his wife. Who doesn't exist? So Julian actually has his assistant, Miss Dickinson, pretend to be his wife, who's played by Ingrid Bergman, and she's so funny in this film. And then from there, things just kind of start playing out. Igor becomes a, a part in it because he doesn't believe he doesn't like Julian or believe it. Uh, Ingrid Bergman is struggling with whether or not she actually wants to continue with this lie. Walter Matthau is juggling all of it. Tony is trying to do right by everyone. It's a crazy film. It's stupidly funny. It's based on a play, also called uh, Cactus Flowers. And, oh, I don't know. I found myself laughing so hard throughout this movie. There's just so many great moments. The The dialogue is really sharp. Walter Matthau is great. He's so natural in this film. And Goldie Hawn, like I said, it, to me, almost felt unrecognizable because she was doing a voice I hadn't recognized um, she looks so young, and Ingrid Bergman, I didn't know could do comedy, and then, um, uh, there's a guy by the name of Rick Lenz who plays Igor, their, her neighbor, and he is so fucking good in this movie, and it's a shame that he didn't become a bigger actor, you know, just the banter between all the characters, Walter Matthau is great at playing a grouch, I loved everything about this film, um, it had a really great look and vibe to it. It was. It takes place in New York, and you get to see a little bit of New York in it, but um, you could definitely see how this could have been staged as a play. Lots of long takes, um, and not not in a way that's drawn attention to it. It's just they're trying to keep the integrity of the play where they're not cutting around um, too crazy. Um, I can't recommend this movie enough. Um, music by Quincy Jones. That's fucking cool. Um, I, I was watching this movie in, in, in small increments because um, my week had been pretty crazy. And my wife saw bits and pieces of it. Um, and without, you know, she she was able to follow along well enough and was having a good time with it. And then she said to me, it's like, you know what? Next time we have a day off, I want to watch Cactus Flowers with you or Cactus Flower. And it's like, hell yeah, that movie is great. So, yeah, I like the classic style and vibe of the film. Like I said, um, 
it, it feels very stage and theatrical, but not in a way that's distracting. The sets are great. The acting is great. Uh, the music, uh, while done by Quincy Jones, I guess I can't really comment on. I think I liked the music, but it's not that's not the part that got me excited. sucker for Walter Matthau. I'll watch him in anything. Yeah, definitely Cactus Flowers is worth your your time. It was a film I knew nothing about before I got this set, but um, Age of Consent, I think, is definitely a, a, a is definitely a good film, if not troubling, slightly troubling, uh, controversial film, but definitely worth seeing. That's the thing. Like, I don't feel like just because it's, it's controversial or troubling doesn't mean it's not worth seeing. There is still merit in it. But Cactus Flower makes this entire collection worth the price of admission. So definitely check out Cactus Flower. And as always, though, the paw prince is my, is my dog Frankenstein. She's pacing because I think she wants to go outside and I'm too busy talking to y'all. Um, so once again, that's a double feature of Age of Consent and Cactus Flower. I think both films came out in 1969, which is why they put them together. Um, yeah, super fun. So far, this is, uh, this is a must-buy. And then finally, from Mill Creek, I got celebrating its 20-year reunion edition, uh, classic 90s comedy, Can't Hardly Wait, which is a film that I know my co-host, Nick, also really enjoys. So the back of it says, It's graduation day at Huntington Hills High. A time for pomp and circumstance, tassels and mortarboards, and serious introspection about the future. But tonight, the seniors will leave all that behind for the things that really matter. Romance, revenge, and rock and roll. Uh, Entertainment we- Owen Gleiberman at Entertainment Weekly says, A high-spirited, synthetically raucous house party comedy. First, it was also unbelievable. Mike Dexter wanted to date me. I know why I started dating him. I just don't know why I did it for so long. Well, he is the most dope guy in school. Yeah, and school's over. This party tonight? Amanda suddenly being single? It's fate. Fate has opened me a window. Yo, I got to have sex tonight. It took me all day, but I narrowed it down to a list of 10 very lucky finals. You know what I'm saying? You think there'll be any girls there? Are you kidding me? People may even be having sex tonight. Get out that way! Huntington Hillside, chase my ass! Have you seen Amanda Beckett? Yeah, imagine saw her in there. I'm thinking about asking her out, boy. Oh, God, you're a hottie. I filled this with seven bottles of vodka last September. It's been in my freezer for. Alright, y'all, check it. It's time to get busy. Who does he think he is, Brad Pitt? <laughs> Like Glennon, but with bigger boobs. Totally bigger boobs. I can't feel my legs. I can't feel my legs! Columbia Pictures presents an event 18 years in the making. When you find out who your friends really are. I don't think she's prettier than Gwyneth. Not even. What your future really holds. I am going to have sex with someone at this party. And how one night can change your life. I don't know about you, but I really believe 
that there's one person out there. And for me, it's gotta be Amanda. I wonder how it's gonna be when you don't there's a mirror right there. Why don't you take a look, okay? You're white. How's it gonna be when you're so Guys like us, we are a dime a dozen. When there's no one there to talk to. There is fate, but it only takes you so far because once you're there, it's up to you to make it happen. Amanda? Can't hardly wait. Which team has the winning play? Huntington, Huntington, hey, hey, hey! Never seen Can't Hardly Wait. I knew about the movie, um, you know. I had seen the cover before, you know, you can't forget that fa uh, Seth Green's face in this movie. Um, so it's a, it's a film I've known about and, but I'd never seen it. And I heard, cause I heard Nick talk about it. Um, so I, when I came across my desk, I was like, cool, I can finally check this out. And I had a lot of fun. Uh, can hardly wait is definitely going to be a feel good movie that I put in. It's to me, it's in the same, it's not, it's not as good as, M as something like empire records. What's with you? Yesterday you were normal, and today you're like the Chinese guy from the Karate Kid. What's with you today? What's with today today? But it can definitely be in that echelon of where I think Joe, filmmaker Joe Lynch on Letterboxd described the film as being a mixtape movie. A 90s mixtape movie where every song in the movie is like, oh, I know that song. Oh, I know that song. I know that song. Um, which is a lot of fun. Performances are all really great in this film as well. But I guess let me back up and talk about the story. So the film is about a bunch of college seniors. Or sorry, high school seniors who are about to go off to college. And uh, they're, they're all going to a big house party. And they all kind of have their, their agendas. So Ethan Embry, who stars in the film, he, more than anything, needs to tell the woman that he's been in love with since freshman year how he feels about her. And that woman is played by Jennifer Love Hewitt. So his journey is finding a way to tell her this. All I'm saying is Amanda and I are connected. We have ever since the first day that she came to school. Oh, God, here we go. It was October, freshman year. First time in history that I'd ever missed the bus. If I had arrived on time, I never would have seen it. But, as it was, I was the first person at Huntington Hills High to set eyes on Amanda Beckett. It was her first day of school. Then, I'm sitting in class, enjoying a late breakfast, when suddenly, out of all the classrooms in the entire school, she walks into mine. And where does the teacher sit her? Right next to me. Now, up until now, one could write this off to coincidence. But then, she reached into her bag and pulled out a strawberry Pop-Tart. The very same breakfast pastry that I was consuming at that moment. What was I to do? How was I to proceed? Who would like to volunteer to give Amanda a tour of the school? I will. Mike Dexter. That's where I lost her. I had a clear shot and I hesitated. But 
fate's finally given me a second chance. Uh, Seth Green's in the film, and his whole thing is he wants to get laid. He's he's the very much the typical um, white boy rapper dude um, who thinks he's got a lot of game, but is a virgin and just really needs to get laid. Yo, I must have died and gone to heaven because I see an angel sitting right in front of me. Are, are you crying? Oh no, baby, please! You are far too fine to look so sad. So while while Ethan Embry is off trying to tell, you know, the woman of his dreams how he how he feels, his best friend, played by Lauren Ambrose, is just hanging out at the party. Um, so we kind of get to experience the party through her eyes a little bit. Um, Charlie Corsmo, I might be pronouncing his name wrong. He is the atypical nerd character. And his whole thing is he wants to get revenge against the jock that made his life terrible. And then Peter Fascinelli plays Mike Dexter, the the jock that made his life a living hell. And all their lives kind of intertwined through this. It's it's kind of a... The entire movie takes place in one night. Um, very well written. Uh, I think super funny. Um, and you just get to see how all this stuff plays out. Um, so in terms of story, there's not like a great, you know, earth shattering story, but it's a who's who of nineties actors. It was kind of like before they were famous type movie. Um, lots of fun. Uh, I'm a sucker for Ethan Embry. I'll watch him in pretty much anything. Jennifer Love Hewitt. I'm pretty good. I'm okay with Seth Green. I also love Peter Fascinelli was fantastic in this movie. I guess I just don't really have anything to complain about. So, you know, all that, all their stories kind of intertwine. Uh, the film is written and directed by the, the team of Deborah Kaplan and Harry Elfont or sorry, El- Elfront. No, it was all right. The first time Elfont who they would later go on to direct uh, Josie and the Pussycats, which I think is a very underrated movie. Um, I actually really enjoy that movie. I think it's, I was, a. I was kind of embarrassed to admit that I liked it when I was, when I was younger, because it was like, oh, you know, Josie and the Pussycats is for kids, for girls, but the movie is stupidly funny. Um, and then they also wrote the, a very Brady sequel. And I must, I love, I love those Brady, those nineties Brady Bunch movies. So I knew I was going to love this film. So the music's great. The acting's great. Um, it's just a great, it's just a fun movie to put on. When you got nothing else to watch. Me and my wife really enjoyed it. Um, I also appreciate too some of the the stereotypes that they decided to break. Um, I loved that um, a Lauren Ambrose's character, who was Ethan Embry's best friend. Normally in a movie like this, they would fall in love. You know, she's got an unrequited crush. She doesn't know what to do with. That didn't happen. I appreciate that. Um, you know, Ethan Embry's storyline kind of plays out the way you expect. You know, the guy pining after this girl, but not in the way that you expect. It actually takes a couple turns and makes you go like, oh, that's really sad. Um, sa- same thing with Seth Green's character. He ex- His character, while could have been a, a caricature, had a, actually has some heart. Um, yeah, and then uh, who doesn't love watching the nerd become the coolest guy at the party? It's the McLovin before McLovin was a thing. Uh, I think Superbad definitely owes a little bit of uh, respect towards this movie. Um, I also love too that the uh, the um, film is a uh, the, sorry the film's name is referenced to a replacement replacements song, which I appreciate because that that's a song I personally love, and it's also weird to hear Smash Mouth 
I know that sounds weird. It's weird. But, like, I always associated Smash Mouth with, like, a 2000s band. And this movie came out in 98. And I was like, shit, Smash Mouth was around for a lot longer than I gave them credit for. Um, yeah, I really enjoyed this movie. Um, and I watched it along with the comment. I watched it once all the way through. And then I watched all the features. I watched one of the commentary tracks. And I honestly wasn't getting sick of this movie. Actually, just talking about it right now makes me want to watch it again. Um, so going on about the features, um, there's two commentary tracks featuring cast and filmmakers. One came out was like a 10 year old commentary. And since we were on the 20th anniversary, I listened to that commentary. I didn't listen to the most recent one they recorded. Um, it's, it's a standard commentary track. Uh, you know, they're, they're talking about, um, you know, just telling anecdotes about making of the film and whatnot. It's, it's not a bad commentary track. It's actually kind of funny a little bit because Seth Green does goes through a half hour of the commentary track with an accent. He just puts on a English accent for no reason. And um, both because uh, he does it with um, Deborah Kaplan and Harry Elfont. And they don't actually comment on it for a good long while. They just kind of let it go and then eventually just ask, are you going to do that accent the entire time? And Seth just ignores it and just keeps going. Oh, yeah, we wanted to have it. it we wrote the script wanting to have, you know, the... Uh, there's the, Seth, the, by the, the way. dialogue repeating. Oh, yeah, Seth, that's you. Look at that. All right, anyway. Uh, <laughs> we wanted to have... Uh, Brandon Wilson. Smooth transitions, because none of these characters knew each other. So Was it to Williams? Make it it's Brandon Williams, isn't it? Yeah. And Bobby Chikovi on the right. All right, never mind. I'm giving up. <laughs> Fine performance. Seth's impolite. Uh, we shot this scene on Halloween. All, most of the crew was in costume. I was wearing um, bunny ears. I was a bunny. <laughs> Harry's I was wearing, a big sad clown. I was wearing big clown <laughs> shoes that I kept tripping over equipment. And I actually, this is the night I gave myself a bloody nose eating an apple. As <laughs> 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 croissants. This is, it. this is the introduction of Klepto Intro- Kid. Yeah. Oh, right, there he is. Who steals stuff throughout the course of the film. That so was you- Bobby's idea, to grab the thing off his shelf and, and stick his finger in and eat it. And put yeah. it back. It was Brandon, improvised. Brandon and Bobby came up with some very clever that things. That is a Chris, Chris Owen back there who's stealing things. Now that, we just cut a big chunk of the scene out. Seth had more to do in the in the, uh, but in thank, the aisle. Thank God you cut it out, quite frankly. And that was a, that was ever the shot everybody laughed at, our POV of the, the love kit, our low-angle shot that everybody thought we were crazy. And ultimately, I think we were to leave it in because... We ended up trimming some stuff out here, and the continuity, continuity didn't quite work. But. The scene took um, about two and a half days to shoot, mostly because <laughs> I couldn't remember any of my lines. Um, and I was. Uh, and there's, uh, this is Jennifer Love Hewitt's song that she recorded for the movie, which we didn't really leave on for that long. Not, not because it's not good. No, it was a great song. Sweet of you guys to support her like that. Seth proves once again that he... I don't want to say a comedy genius, but it's definitely got a knack for comedy. But the kid's been, the guy's been acting since he's like a child. It's kind of crazy. He was in a Woody Allen film when he was a kid. Um, and then there's a feature called Huntington Hills Class of 98 Reunion Special. This one is just kind of like a where are they now type thing. But it's really goofy because it's got Ethan Embry and uh, Peter Fascinelli. But it's then a lot of the side characters, a lot of the smaller people. Like... You know, X-File 1 and X-File 2, who are the nerdy kid's best friends. It's got, um, um, you know, a couple of the jocks. And just people who weren't really integral to the story. It's it's still fun to hear their stories. It's just, um, you know, felt very... It felt very rushed. It's like, oh, we don't... We don't really... We can't get, we can't get any, a hold of any of the... Imp- I don't want to say important people. The, the, the bigger names from the film. So let's just get who we can get together. And... 
um, it's a little funny because they're always like, oh, I'll be like the person, uh, the woman who played like the crying Asian girl that Seth Green hits on. She'll be like, I get all the time on the street. You were in Can't Hardly Wait. Really? Do you really hear that a lot? Like, I feel like I, I watched this movie like three times and I still don't know what you look like. But, you know. And then they've got another feature called the Making of a Teen Class. Uh, Making of a Teen Class. Once again, it's all about the casting process, what they went about trying to find these actors, what it was like playing a teenager when most of them were like in their 20s. Like Peter Fatsonelli had like two kids when he made this. Um, it It's very standard stuff. It feels like they made they, they recorded all these interviews at one time and then chopped them up. Um, Wife of a Party featurettes. Uh, be completely honest with you, I... Uh, I don't really remember what that one's about. Didn't leave a big impression on me. Deleted scenes. And then, of course, a music video for I Can't Get Enough of You Baby by Smash Mouth. Who doesn't want that? Um, ultimately, the feature the features are okay. They're, they're nothing to write home about. I, I'm glad they're there. Um, um, it is kind of amusing, though, that, you know, they, they all talk about working with Jennifer Love Hewitt, but she's in such a small part of the film. Um... It's also very awkward. In one of the featurettes, they talk about her boobs for like for like I swear five minutes. Just like, did she get a boob job? I don't know. Felt very unnecessary. Kind of amusing, especially because she's not there to like comment on it. I feel like it would have it could have been a great comedy moment for them to like all these people. Did that Jennifer Love Hewitt get a boob job for this movie? And then cut to her being like, no, I don't know. Uh, maybe I'm thinking too much about it. Uh, the feature is not why you buy this film, though. Can't hardly wait. It's just a lot of fun. I can see why it's a classic, um, and I enjoyed it thoroughly. So, as of now, guys, that's my collection. That's my Mill Creek Entertainment collection. Once again, we got the Laurel and Hardy comedy collection. Can't hardly wait. Twenty year reunion edition, and the double feature of Age of Consent and Cactus Flower. Uh, highly recommend. All, I recommend all three of them, but it's like if you have to choose one, as much as I enjoyed uh, Can't Hardly Wait, pick up the double feature of Age of Consent and Cactus Flower. That's my pick of the episode. Um, I needed a jingle, so that's why I did the, the clap, and it actually it woke my dog up. Um, thanks for listening, guys. As always, you can find us pretty much anywhere podcasts are listened to. Uh, we are on Spotify. We are on Apple podcasts or itunes whatever you want to call it google play music we are in libsyn um we're kind of on soundcloud we ever since we changed ever since we moved over to libsyn we no longer can have as many files up on soundcloud at the time which is kind of a bummer but ultimately i think libsyn is a better choice um i'm michael Byers. as always i'd really appreciate if you could rate review and subscribe to the podcast give us some good feedback Contact us on our on our Facebook page. It's extremely lonely out there when no one talks about anything. We're on Instagram at at Shameless Picture Show, all one word, and you can find me at Michael underscore Vires. And don't forget to visit our sponsor, uh, our sponsors at Mill Creek. You can see, sorry, this is the part that I'm not ready for. You can visit their website at www.millcreekent.com. Mill Creek Ent. And buy yourself some movies, guys. Support these people. They, they, they've been with us. Not as long as Vinegar Central, but they've been with us. And we appreciate them. Um, so, thanks a lot, guys. Love you, as always. And, as we have now began using, if you're not down with that, I've got two words for you. 
watch movies.